For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Today we acknowledge one of the most iconic African-American writers of the Harlem Renaissance, Zora Neale Hurston. The novelist, anthropologist, playwright, folklorist, and filmmaker portrayed the racial struggles of African-Americans living in America's South in the early 1900s. A true feminist before it was fashionable to sport the title, Hurston's works remained unrecognized by the literary world until 1975 when Alice Walker, author of The Color Purple, revived interest in all things Hurston through her essay, in Search of Zora Neale Hurston. Published in 1975 by Ms. Magazine, the article acknowledged Hurston as a literary icon. Projected to feminist stardom, Zora became a household name. Hurston's novels, essays, satires, folklore anthologies, even her autobiography, Dust on the Tracks, quickly garnered her the acclaim that had looted her during her life. Now heralded, Hurston's strong, independent black female characters and use of an African-American dialect were no longer shunned by the literary world. Hurston's 1937 publication, Their Eyes Were Watching God, which had been out of print for almost 30 years, earned her the recognition to be one of the most prolific female writers of the 20th century. Their Eyes Were Watching God now graces high school summer reading lists. As Hurston's popularity skyrocketed, scholars, writers, and feminists unveiled a life emboldened by advanced education, multiple marriages, extensive travel, a fascination for voodoo, and a disdain for using religion as a weakness. Prayer, she noted in her autobiography, seems to me a cry of weakness and an attempt to avoid, by trickery, the rules of the game as laid down. I do not choose to admit weakness. I accept the challenge of responsibility. Life as it does does not frighten me since I have made my peace with the universe as I find it and bow to its laws. And yet, despite her ability to trailblaze a path of literary achievement through academic determination and carefree independence, Hurston died in utter obscurity from heart disease in a welfare home in Florida's county of St. Lucie. The date was January 28, 1960. Her remains remained in an unmarked grave in the Garden of Heavenly Rest in Fort Pierce until 1973, when Walker and fellow Hurston scholar Charlotte D. Hunt left a marker on an unmarked grave in the area where they believe Hurston was buried. WOKV caught up with Ray Chesney, an award-winning social education expert, Johns Hopkins University literary consultant, and Zora Neale Hurston scholar to learn more about the life and writings of the literary icon. Zora herself is very important to me because the way history is often presented, it's done with a birth and a death date. It's kind of cold, if you will. And so we think about what the person accomplished, maybe some challenges they had. But my goal is to make history come alive through Zora because she did it for me with all of the human experience that was her life. And I think it's a model that I hope others will follow and get excited about. Chesney describes two lives, hers and Hurston's, as authors and scholars running parallels separated by decades. 
I really fell in love, even experiencing her finding herself in her own confidence as a black woman writer and just a woman, period. Zora, I know who she is. I feel her and I connect with her. Hurston was born in Notasluga, Alabama on January 7th, 1891, the daughter of a slave turned sharecropper. Three years later, the family moved to Eatonville, Florida, the first all-black incorporated Negro municipality in the United States. Hurston's father became the town's mayor and Baptist minister. At age 13, within months of losing her mother, her father married a woman just a few years older than she. Scandal surrounded the marriage as it was believed that her father had been having sexual relations with his young bride prior to their union. Zora and her siblings were sent away to study at Jacksonville's Florida Baptist Academy. Not soon thereafter, Zora would be dismissed because her father refused to pay the tuition. Hurston spent the next years working mostly as a maid in Jacksonville. The years haunted her and she would erase them from from her canvas, she would in a way be born again, and the absence of her mother would shape who she became. Her mother was the one who protected her, who exalted her, and who told her and all of her siblings to jump at the sun. And I think her mother dying was probably the most heartbreaking thing that she experienced in her life because her mother did champion her. In 1917, at age 26, Hurston enrolled in the high school division of Morgan State University, a historically black college in Baltimore, Maryland. She claimed her age is 16 in order to receive a free high school education. In 1918, Hurston attended Washington, D.C.'s Howard University. In 1925, she was offered a scholarship to Barnard College of Columbia University, an all-women's college in New York City. She was the first and sole black student on campus. At Barnard, she conducted research with noted anthropologists Franz Boas and Ruth Benedict and received her B.A. in anthropology in 1928. She attended Columbia University for the next two years as a graduate student in anthropology. As Hurston pursued a life rich in the tapestry of Negro music, folk literature and voodoo, she kept her private life, well, private. Chesney says that Hurston even marred the truth to protect herself in her autobiography. Does quite a lot of work in deceiving the truth of her life, even going as far to say that she was born in Eatonville and given the wrong year that she was born in. And so it's kind of like a treasure hunt. Once you start to do research on her, you can find her, her mistruth, we will say. Chesney described Hurston's life within the Harlem Renaissance as a political movement, a black aesthetic that allowed Hurston to leverage her ability to tell stories and rub shoulders with white and black thought leaders. And while Hurston's role as a writer and anthropologist was a huge undertaking, success and fame would not come easily. During the time of the Great Depression, that was Zora's most prolific period. But unfortunately, no matter how much she published, she never garnered over $1,000 in royalties, which that figure in 2021 would be around $15,000. So she could never make a living truly as a writer. She was never able to own a house, even though she was able to buy two houseboats, which she got in Daytona Beach. The legacy, the preservation of Black culture, which is a part of American culture, is largely due to Zora Neale Hurston. Now, when we talk about the negative, being a woman and a black woman at this time, born in 1891, of course, she experienced racism. She experienced sexism, especially from her contemporaries in the Harlem Renaissance, such as Langston Hughes, who had been her best friend during the Harlem Renaissance, but after they had a falling out in 1931, she became one of her biggest detractors. She had a very different outlook on the school of thought of what black people should be doing. And in contrast to Black thought leaders like W.E.B. Du Bois, and so she had many tips with them. 
forever swimming upstream, Hurston refused to be labeled anything, not female, not black, not independent, neither a scholar, an artist, or a wife. Blacks criticized her for catering to whites, and whites were hesitant to bring her into their inner circles. I have the nerve to walk away on my own, she would write, however hard in my search for reality rather than climb upon the rattling wagon of wishful illusions. In between her work as a writer and anthropologist, she would marry and divorce three times. In 1927, she married Herbert Sheen, a jazz musician and former teacher at Howard University. The marriage ended in 1931. In 1939, she married Albert Price. Again, the marriage lasted mere months. In 1944, she walked down the aisle with James Howell Pitts, only to be divorced again within months. She would never have children, but she did speak about adopting. So one of the children she wanted to adopt was a little boy that she had met when she was doing anthropological work in Jamaica in 1937. And so she was very disappointed because I believe he had darker skin and he was treated as kind of the dump of the family. And so she took pity on him. And then she wanted to adopt an American Asian child who was left behind by American soldiers during the war. And they were now fatherless. She did love children, but she often said that she was glad she didn't have any because they would tie her down. Zora moved around and she didn't stay anywhere very long. Hurston was at the time the embodiment of Southern culture. She was the only person of her stature in the Harlem Renaissance to actually have been from down south. So even at parties during the Harlem Renaissance, she attracted a lot of attention because she had the Southern draw. They said she had the map of Dixie on her tongue. And so even when we think about what was going on in black politics at the time, there was this disassociation from the folk, if you will, the sharecroppers in the South, Southern life, uh, things that have been stereotyped and received negative connotations, such as eating watermelon and dancing and smiling and eating chicken. Zora was like, no, we have rich Southern life, and she was the authority on that. Fascinated by folklore, she also traveled to Jamaica and Haiti. Chesney says that their eyes were watching God burst out of her in seven weeks in Haiti, a feat that turned her literary tide from propaganda to self-love. So art was used as propaganda. Books were used as propaganda to showcase how bad things were for black people in America. And here Zora was not using race or the race problem to develop this very beautiful story about a black woman who is trying to find, discover, and really live in a space of self-love, who's choosing herself. So you think of who would be empowered then between white men and then artistically black men. It was outlandish to have such a character. It was absolutely unheard of. Kristen also embedded her footprint in St. Augustine. Not only did she teach at Lincolnville's Florida Normal College, the city's mostly all-black school, her first marriage and her second divorce took place in America's oldest city. She bid farewell to her second husband, Albert, with the following words, Here is my ring. By putting it into your hands, I hope this makes it unnecessary for you to come to see me for any reason whatsoever. In fact, it is my earnest prayer that I never see you again unless you are dead. If you will only be decent enough to die, I will buy me a red dress, send myself some flowers of congratulations, and come to your funeral. Cordially, Zora. 
Despite a long-standing formidable presence, Hurston would eventually die in a deep depression after being falsely accused of molesting a 10-year-old mentally challenged boy. Proving her innocence would be as easy as presenting her passport with its date showing that she was out of the country at the time of the accusation. The child would even later admit that he lied, but her depression drove her into obscurity. She died without fanfare in 1960 at the age of 69. St. Augustine would not forget Hurston's trailblazing through the walls of its city by commemorating a park in her name in 2010. Years prior, in 2003, her St. Augustine residence, 791 West King Street, was recognized by St. John's County with a historical marker. Also in 2003, the United States Postal Service issued the Zora Neale Hurston commemorative postage stamp. Her hometown of Eatonville, Florida, got the honor of distributing the first batch of stamps. Zora festivals are celebrated annually in both Eatonville and Fort Pierce, Florida. So we conclude our short commemoration on on Zora Neale Hurston showcasing her vibrant spirit in her own words. A letter she writes to her friend, Dear Langston, I think what follows is exciting. I have a chance to buy a beautiful tract of land slap on the Indian River, which, as you probably know, passes for the most beautiful river in the world. Know what I thought of? A Negro art colony. You, Wally, and Aaron Douglas, and Bruce, and me, and all our crowd. I think Alelia Walker might like the idea, don't you? We don't need too many. No big society stuff. Just a neat little colony of kindred souls. I'm crazy to build me a house that looks like something, like an African king's menage. More elaborate, of course. Love and luck, honey. Zora. Lucia Vidi, 104.5 WOKV.